that um, we're going to look at the resurrection today as well. Sorry to get a uh, jump start on it. We're supposed to be, uh, are we supposed to be maudlin, maudlin and penitent during Lent and not be happy and joyful until Easter? Um, we're going to talk about joyful things um, in light of the resurrection uh, this morning. The resurrection, um, partially joyful anyway, it fueled Paul's life and his evangelism, and it upheld him through suffering. Uh, the resurrection upheld him through persecution. And as we think about uh, doing evangelism, which is what we've kind of been doing as we've gone through the book of Acts, uh, and we think about the discomfort that can be associated with doing evangelism, uh, the resurrection needs to loom large in our minds and in our hearts. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll see what God's word has to say about that. Let's pray together. God, we need your help, as always, when we come to your word. Um, You've given us uh, your word, and it is very clear. And yet, um, when our hearts and our minds are resistant to you, uh, even the the clearest word uh, falls on deaf ears. So we pray that you would um, give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see things from your word so that we would receive your grace and to be changed by it into the likeness of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Acts 28, starting in verse 16. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So, it's a question for you. I don't need to see a show of hands. Um, have you ever suffered for sharing the gospel with someone? Um, for, for telling others about Jesus and about the salvation that is found in him? It's probably a difficult question for most of us to answer. Some of you um, may never have shared the gospel with anyone. Maybe that's because uh, you're not a Christian and you're not persuaded that the gospel is a good thing to share with other people. Uh, maybe it's because you're young and you're not quite sure what you would say. Uh, and maybe it's because you're afraid of what people might think of you if you let it be known that you were a Christian. Um, my guess is that actually most of you have done some form of evangelism, shared the gospel in some way. Uh, and my guess is that if you have shared the gospel with someone, you probably don't feel like you've suffered much, uh, especially when you compare yourself to the Apostle Paul or to the martyrs you might read about in history books or that we sing about in that song, uh, The Son of God Goes Forth to War. But... <clears throat> You may well have suffered for doing evangelism, whether it's, uh, it's being subtly mocked or uh, joked about, or maybe it's receiving some sort of demerits, official or unofficial, in the workplace. Um, or maybe it's having someone you, you care about get really angry with you because you talked about Jesus. Um, when you encounter various kinds of trials for the sake of the gospel... You're supposed to rejoice um, and actually be strengthened for more trials of various kinds. Uh, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your, your reward is great in heaven. Um, so we're supposed to rejoice, right? But how do we usually respond to uh, such suffering? When the boss gets angry with us, we learn to back off and be more guarded in our conversations about the gospel in the workplace. Or when that family member's around, we, uh, we carefully avoid the subject. Or maybe we just altogether avoid the people who would... Um, take offense or make, make fun of us uh, for being Christians. Um, and that kind of behavior really shouldn't surprise us. Uh, in general, pain avoidance is a natural thing, right? Um, but with Jesus and the apostles and the prophets, pain avoidance doesn't really seem to be in their vocabulary, does it? Um, throughout the book of Acts, we see almost everywhere Paul went, he was persecuted for doing evangelism but that didn't stop him from doing evangelism, um, even in very difficult places. So let's read a little bit from Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 19. Jews came to Lystra from uh, Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. It's not a pleasant experience, probably. Um, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So something's going on in Paul's life that causes him to return to the places where he had already experienced very violent persecution. Uh, the Jews in these places almost killed him for preaching the gospel. In fact, they, they, um, they pursued him to further cities to try to kill him there uh, for preaching the gospel. Uh, and he went right back in there, and he preached the gospel some more. And not only that, um, he didn't stop taking the gospel to Jews, the ones who were most likely to try to kill him, even though he surely had learned to expect violent opposition from them. Everywhere he went, he continued to visit the synagogues first. Or in the case of our passage this morning in Acts 28, when he's under house arrest in Rome, the first thing he did was invite the local Jewish leaders to his place in order to share the gospel with them. This is like everywhere you go, finding the hornet's nest and going straight for it and kicking it. He didn't uh, withdraw from people who were hostile to the gospel, and he didn't avoid the subject when he was around them. So what is it that's driving him to keep doing this when, uh, when we all would most likely give up or drastically tra- change our strategies? <laughs> what is it that's driving him to do this? I-, I think we see the answer in verse 20 in our text. Paul's been explaining to the Jewish leaders why it is that he's ended up in Rome as a prisoner under house arrest. He's not complaining. I'm sure that I would be complaining quite a bit in this case, but he's not complaining about being wrongly accused, about being um, wrongly imprisoned or treated unjustly. He doesn't hold any ill will toward his accusers, right, Uh, or speak evil of his captors. He's just looking for any opportunity he can um, that he can find to share the gospel. He says in verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Uh, Literally, Paul was wearing a chain, and the other end of it was attached to the soldier who was guarding him. And the, the thing that he wanted the Jewish leaders to know who had come to visit him in his home, uh, and remember, these are the people who are most likely to get really angry at him for saying this. Um, the thing he wanted them to know was that he was there because of the hope of Israel. He was there because of the hope of Israel. Several times in the last few chapters of Acts, Paul uh, is giving his defense in various places, and he speaks of this hope. And when Paul is uh, talking about this hope, he's talking about the resurrection from the dead. Uh, The resurrection from the dead. He's repeatedly said that he is on trial or he is a prisoner or he's wearing these chains because of the resurrection. And this is what he means by the resurrection. It's that uh, day of days at the end of the world, as we know it, when God makes all things new when God sets everything right the way it was supposed to be and raises to everlasting bodily life all of those who belong to him. And Paul calls it the hope of Israel because for a long time Israel has uh, represented God's people. Right? They've been the ones who've been looking forward to the resurrection. 
It's the community of people that God has chosen out of the world that are going to benefit from all the blessings of the resurrection. Uh, it's really something to look forward to. When, when our, our failing bodies will be made whole and immortal, when our weak spirits will be given vitality and righteousness, when all evils in the world will be crushed, all injustices are righted, and when we'll see God face to face and everything will be love and joy and peace forever in the new heavens and the new earth, um, it is impossible to imagine just how amazing the resurrection will be. Uh, What a great hope. And this hope led Paul to preach the gospel, even though he knew he would surely suffer for it. Now, this is maybe a little bit uh, different from other kinds of suffering. I think um, all of our suffering as Christians can be done as, um, as Christians, you know, clinging to Jesus and gaining our strength uh, and our endurance from him. But I think this kind of suffering is distinguishable, maybe even from suffering... Um, for living a good, righteous life, right? Because really, who's going to give you grief for being a good person? Uh, people like good people. Being a good person is easy because it'll probably get you friends. It'll probably get you liked by others, but sharing the gospel gets you chains or some version of it, right? People can't stand gospel-proclaiming people because the gospel implicitly condemns us, and no one likes that. No one likes that. To continue that quote from Jesus in Luke chapter 6, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So what happened to the prophets? Um, you see in Second Chronicles chapter 36, um, this is what that says. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets. He kept sending the prophets... <laughs> Because he had compassion on his people, but they didn't receive it as compassion, apparently. Uh, You might think that the good news of God's free grace would be met more with joy than uh, with hostility. But, um, But it's the bad news that's implicit in the good news that provokes people. When you tell people that God has grace for sinners... It's the sinner's part that rings in their ears, right? The fact that Jesus had to die in order for God to forgive my sins says something pretty terrible about me, that I would need that kind of mercy. I. Howard Marshall, commentator, says that God's word brings the diagnosis of sin, which is painful to hear and accept, but at the same time it wounds in order to heal. The gospel wounds us in order to heal us. But a lot of the time, uh, people can't get past the wounding. And so uh, Paul, for preaching the gospel that wounds in order to heal, uh, he had to endure slander and false accusations and murderous plots 
and beatings and stonings and imprisonment and eventually execution. And this was to fulfill what the Lord Jesus had said to him in Acts chapter 9. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Dennis Johnson says, Suffering is intrinsic to faithful service. Because the word of God's kingdom initiates the overturning of the patterns of pride and exploitation that permeate sinful human society. The gospel comes and flips everything upside down. Um, And so people who carry the gospel, suffering is intrinsic to that kind of faithful service. It's like in our Old Testament reading uh, from Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. um, They disobeyed the king's command. Right to worship the golden image that he had set up, the false god. They disobeyed it because they worshipped the one true God, and Nebuchadnezzar was in a furious rage because the men paid no attention to him. He was the king, and they paid no attention to him. They offended his pride. He was filled with fury, it says, when they refused him to his face, when they implied that their god was stronger than him, and was able to deliver them from his hands. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than normal. And he had them thrown into it. Now, uh, in this case, it wasn't included in our Old Testament reading, but probably you know the story. God miraculously delivered them uh, unscathed, unscathed by the fire. <clears throat> but they had been prepared to suffer death right? uh, out of their allegiance to the one true God. Um, suffering for Jesus' name is intrinsic to our mission as Christians because our message runs exactly counter to what sinners generally like to hear. Um, Now, we don't go looking for persecution as a way to demonstrate our loyalty to Jesus. Um, That that quote at the beginning of the, the bulletin from The Offspring, that's a band from like the 90s or something. Um, uh, there's a song where they, this is one of the lyrics, the more you suffer, the more it shows you really care, right? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah and no. Right. Uh, that, that song's about a guy who is desperate to be loved by his fickle, cheating girlfriend. Uh, he is desperate to be loved. He lets her treat him like dirt, so that he can show her how much he really cares for her, right? uh, that he really loves her. At least that's how he justifies his, uh, his codependency, right? It's a pretty interesting song. It's not really a good one. Don't go looking for it. But, <clears throat> but, um, but deep down, deep down this guy knows that his girlfriend doesn't really love him. She doesn't really love him. He really has no hope that she'll uh, recognize his faithful suffering as love, and maybe come around and return his affection one day. He knows that his suffering is stupid. He knows that his suffering is vain. And he's trying to comfort himself by saying, at least I'm doing it out of love, right? The more you suffer, the more it shows you really care. Right? Yeah. Christian suffering for the gospel is nothing like that. Uh, It's nothing like that. In a sense, it is a demonstration of your loyalty, to the thing for which you suffer, um, but you don't suffer in order to prove your loyalty. 
you don't suffer, certainly, to, to make sure God loves you. The Christian suffers, the Christian endures all things because God has utterly captured your heart through many great promises, the supreme promise being the resurrection. The resurrection. Paul suffers because God has promised him everything in the resurrection. And now he's willing to endure anything because he has nothing to lose. He has nothing to lose by suffering. You have nothing to lose by having hard conversations with people about the way that the gospel can change their lives. Do you know that? You have nothing to lose because of the fact that God has promised to raise you from the dead. Even if they kill you for sharing the gospel, you have nothing to lose. Now, if the resurrection were not true, that's a different story. Paul himself admits that suffering for the sake of the gospel would be ridiculous if the resurrection were not true. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. By all means, if this life is all that there is, let's enjoy it to the fullest. Pain avoidance and pleasure-seeking should be at the top of your list, because Suffering without hope is unbearable. Really, it's, it's pointless. But we suffer for the sake of the gospel with full hope and with true joy, not with some desperate hope that maybe God will love us, maybe God will accept us if we show how much we care by suffering for his kingdom. Uh, we have the complete assurance of our resurrection We know that it will absolutely happen, just like God says, because Jesus has already been raised from the dead. Jesus is the hope of Israel, the hope of God's people. God has shown us what our resurrection will be like when he raised Jesus from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus is already victorious over death, and all those who are in him by faith are assured of the same victory. And that is the fuel for Paul's evangelism in the face of persecution. That's what kept him going through stonings and imprisonments, taking the gospel to people who kept trying to kill him. It says at the end of our passage in uh, verses 30 and 31, Paul lived there in Rome um, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the gospel of God and uh, the, the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Without hindrance. What does Luke mean, uh, without hindrance? Of course, Paul's hindered. Right? He's under house arrest for two whole years. And which one of you who goes to prison has to pay your own way, pay your own rent? He can't go to the synagogues or to the other public forums where he might be able to preach the gospel. He has to wait for people to come to him. And he's chained to a guard night and day. Uh, He is hindered um, circumstantially. He may be hindered circumstantially, but he is not hindered spiritually. Uh, The second time Paul was imprisoned in Rome, 
He wrote this in his very last letter to uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. It was during his first Roman imprisonment here during these two years that he wrote the letters to the Ephesians and the Philippians, a letter characterized by joy, and to the Colossians, and a letter to Philemon, some of the most important words ever put to paper, words inspired by God himself. God, in his providence, orchestrated this time in prison to further advance his word. The gospel was never hindered by the circumstances of Paul's suffering. The gospel only grew. God is on a mission that cannot be stopped, even by our suffering, uh, not even by our death, because God has already won the the decisive victory over sin and death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what gives us courage and freedom to boldly and without hindrance proclaim the gospel even in the face of certain suffering. Now, that doesn't mean um, that now you have the resources to boldly go and try and make people feel really guilty for their sins. That's, that's not evangelism. It's not your job to make someone feel condemned. They should get plenty of that from their own consciences. Uh, no, as a, as a Christian, as one who carries the words of life, It's your job to tell people something that they would never learn just by listening to what the world has to say. Something that they would never learn just by listening to their own consciences. A word needs to come into their lives from outside their normal experience. From outside this whole world. God's special revelation of his salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world to save really bad people. While we were enemies of God, he gave up his life willingly to make us his friends. And Jesus is in heaven right now, ruling over all things, making everything work together for your good. And he comes near to the brokenhearted. He comes near to the depressed. He comes near to the oppressed. And one day, he'll finally make all things right and just and glorious. And you're there to be a messenger of that good news, a herald of God's grace and love as seen in Jesus, not a harbinger of doom and judgment. So this is the end of the the book of Acts. And I think Luke wants his readers to ask the question, where do you go from here? Where do we go from here? The trajectory has been set. The gospel is advancing to the ends of the earth. We participate by bearing that word uh, of the gospel forth in our lives, even if it means our suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. Um, Jesus is risen. It's a week early, I know. Uh, Jesus is risen. You will be raised if you trust in him.
And that means everything is yours. You have nothing to lose. And so go and preach the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are weak, um, but they stir at uh, your good news, your love that's freely given to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the good promises that we have that are bought uh, by the blood of your Son. And we pray that your good news would strengthen us. And we pray that as we come to this table, that you would feed us and strengthen us and equip us to live in this world as those who um, bear your good news uh, on our lips and in our very lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.